0: Hello, and welcome to the Spillman Insights Podcast, where thought leaders at Spillman Thomas & Battle update friends and clients on legal and business issues. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another video companion to Spillman Thomas & Battle's Decoded Newsletter. Our Decoded Newsletter is our technology law practice groups, bi-weekly newsletter that addresses hot topics in technology law. I'm Nick Mooney. I work here at the firm's Charleston, West Virginia office. And before we get started today, we're going to talk about uh, cryptocurrency, a high level overview of some of the legal issues and legitimate uses of cryptocurrency, a little bit about blockchain, and then some recent events that have been in the news. But before we get started, let me give you the disclaimer. Uh, this is not legal advice. It's for informational purposes only. It's also not investment advice. Nothing we say here today is intended to, and, and it doesn't, create an uh, attorney-client release, a relationship with Corey and me, or the firm in general, or any other attorney here at the firm. So before we get started, Corey, let me kick it over to you for introduction and to get us started.
1: Thanks, Nick. Uh, <clears throat> yes, like Nick said, I'm Corey Bonasso. I'm out of the firm's Charleston office. Uh, and just to get us off, get started off, uh, I just wanna give us a little bit of a, a quick overview of what virtual currency actually is. Uh, the term virtual currency, it is currency that's stored and exchanged over the internet in digital form. And uh, virtual currency is the all-encompassing term for digital currency used uh, over the internet. It's cryptocurrency is one just segment of virtual currency, and we'll get into those specifics a little bit later. But virtual currency is a more all-encompassing definition. It has no physical form, unlike fiat currency, which is currency that does have a physical form, think dollars, euros, uh, things like that. Unlike a fiat currency like US dollars, where the Federal Reserve controls how much money is printed and put into circulation based on certain demand or economic factors, virtual currency, it can be generated by anybody. It, and the value that is assigned to it is essentially whatever a value uh, the users of that virtual currency assign. And so virtual currency, it can be non-convertible or convertible. And non-convertible is when the virtual currency only exists in the digital form and there's no way to exchange it for fiat money. So it only exists in that digital realm. It can be exchanged for other digital currencies in many cases, but not for actual physical money. On the other hand, convertible digital currency is where (laughs) one can take their digital assets and convert them into fiat money. Think dollars or uh, euros or some other sort of widely accepted currency. And owners of these types of uh, virtual currency, they can take their virtual assets to an exchange, Swap them out for dollars or something else and take away actual money that is widely accepted by vendors around the world. Uh, and so, Nick, what, what else can you tell us a little bit of overview with crypto and virtual assets? Uh, I think when we talk about
0: virtual currency and digital currency, we have to recognize the fact that this is not all you know, third party actors, people sitting in their basement or or companies that are operating outside of the traditional government system. One of the interesting things that's been going on for years is the concept of central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. And these are digital currencies that will be issued by a government or a central bank in a country. Now, are we, where are we on this? You know, there have been a lot of countries that have been exploring it, a lot of countries that have been Uh, trying to implement it China is one that we should talk about it comes to the forefront China's sort of it's fair to say China's out front with a couple others one of the things in recent that um, happened in China is it published that it has tested a digital yuan that uh, it had given I think it was 10,000 no 50,000 residents in Shenzhen a certain amount of digital yuan to to spend at these merchants the test went uh, went well uh, so, China is in the process of rolling out a digital Yuan. It also, I think it was last week, maybe a little bit more than last week. Uh, we're recording this the day after the 2020 election. So, more than a little bit more than last week, China has published a new draft law that would recognize the digital Yuan as part of the country's currency, or like you said, fiat currency. It also prohibits others from issuing any type of digital currency that would be backed by the Yuan in China. So is China the only one that's, that's experimenting with a central bank digital currency? No, not at all. Another one that comes to mind is Sweden. It's been studying and testing an e krona for a while. And I think the test is supposed to go into next year. Another notable example is Senegal. You may be familiar with uh, the uh, performer, the, the musician, the artist Akon, and, and his efforts to create a coin and an Akon City an all digital city. So There are a lot of countries around the US that are working on a central bank digital currency. With that in mind, the question becomes, uh, what are we doing here in the US? Are we just letting that go by and not do anything? No, not at all. There are a couple of projects, at least in the US, that have been working on it. The Fed in Boston has, has partnered with MIT's Digital Currency Initiative to uh, work on a multi-year project at establishing a, an American central bank digital currency. In addition to that, there's the U.S. Digital Dollar Project that's being headed up by the former CFTC chair, Christian Carlo, and they're working on a digital job dollar. One of the things that, if, you, if you're if you in this space at all, one of the things that's very important to the folks working on the digital dollar or the U.S. CBDC, uh, I see a lot is the phrase, we don't want to break the dollar. It's a complicated system. And it's a system that works, and we want to make sure we we supplement it with a digital US CBDC and not break it. So, in addition to the virtual currencies, in addition to the cryptocurrencies, there are also governments and um, governments working on fiat uh, CBDCs. So, with that in mind, now we've talked about virtual currencies, let's hone in on cryptocurrencies and what's going on there. Let me, Corey, kick
1: it back over to you to get us started on that. Thanks, Nick. Uh, like Nick said, uh, cryptocurrency is just one type of virtual currency Uh, it's digital currency that is secured using cryptography it's often referred to as crypto for short Uh, it's typically recorded on a public ledger called a blockchain i'm sure many people have heard of the term blockchain and here independent users called miners they can track the transactions in a blockchain uh, back from a certain transaction and they can trace the tokens or the units of digital currency back through the blockchain all the way to its origin to when those first the tokens were first generated so this legitimizes the transaction it ensures that those tokens are only spent once and eliminates the double spending problem um, currently there are about 2,000 uh, cryptocurrencies in the market today and Bitcoin is probably the most popular uh, of all those cryptocurrencies and it, it's a it's very popular I'm sure many people have heard of it uh, it started back in Halloween of 2008 with uh, Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. And no one actually knows the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto, whether it's an individual or a group, but that is what many people trace as the origin of Bitcoin. In its early days, it did not have a very high value because it wasn't widely accepted uh, in its early days. And it was reported that one of the first transactions using Bitcoin was uh, someone paid 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza. Uh, Today, that that amount of Bitcoin would be worth about $105 million. Uh, So you could probably get a couple more pizzas for that. Now, blockchain, it's a public ledger that records cryptocurrency transactions. It runs on a trustless system, which it sounds like a negative thing, but in the crypto world, it's actually a positive thing because every single transaction is verified and it's ensured that it it is legitimate. So that's the trustless system that avoids that double spending of the tokens, like we've mentioned. It's difficult to hack or manipulate uh, because in order to hack one transaction, someone would have to hack each transaction in the chain prior to that one. And with the blockchain, uh, something for something like Bitcoin that's been growing for 12 years, the cost and the time it would take to hack every transaction uh, of a transaction today all the way back to maybe 2012 or 2008 would just be cost and time, time prohibitive. Uh, the transactions in, in many chains are public. Anyone can locate the identities of the users by reverse deciphering uh, the participants in a transaction. So it's not completely anonymous, it's sort of pseudo anonymous, but there's some work involved uh, to obtain the identities of the crypto users in a given transaction. And that's only for users uh, in a given transaction. It's not like they're out there in public, it's just if they do that transaction on a certain chain. Now, in order to transfer uh, cryptocurrency assets into fiat money, a person could take their digital assets to an exchange and now exchanges can be centralized or decentralized and a centralized exchange it's a single platform that controls uh, the exchange of digital currency it's similar to a bank or other financial institutions where people they bring their assets and the bank kind of handles all the processing for them as a third party intermediary some upsides to this sort of exchange it's, it's easier to regulate because uh, the license is required it's high liquidity and uh, transactions can be executed instantaneously Uh, some of the downsides it does come with fees Uh, the exchange will charge a fee in order to operate it and it's a little bit more susceptible to hackers because everything's in a centralized location so hackers know exactly where to go to get all these different customers it's think sort of the line at the watering hole they know their prey is all collected in one spot so that's where they know to go on the other hand you have decentralized exchange and this is where no single platform or entity handles exchanges for as the third party intermediary for customers. It's simply a peer-to-peer, customer-to-customer exchange. And some of the upsides of this type of exchange is that it's it gives the users a little bit more control. They don't have to deal with any third parties. It usually doesn't come with fees because there's no one charging them for services. And it's usually more resistant to hackers as well because there's not that central place. Uh, hackers would have to go out and find individual customers in order to, to do any sort of hacking. Some of the downsides, it's lower liquidity. It takes longer to execute transactions because peers have to go find each other and there's no uh, license required. So the regulation of this kind of exchange is a little bit more difficult. Uh, So now we have, there are a lot of legitimate uses for cryptocurrency. Uh, People tend to think uh, some illegitimate uses when they first hear it, but there are definitely a lot of legitimate uses. And uh, what can you tell us more about that, Nick?
0: Yeah, I love talking about this because it, it reminds me of a conversation—a short conversation I had a few years ago, probably as recently as uh, 2016, maybe late 2016, where I was talking with someone about about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And literally the response was, isn't that what people use to buy hand grenades on the Internet? Um, so I think that perception's probably still out there. Hopefully it's a lot less than it used to be. Let's talk about some of the legitimate uses of cryptocurrency. The first one is, is one that I think is really important. It's where I grew up in, uh, as a lawyer in financial litigation, and it's the concept of micropayments. You may or may not know, if you use your credit card or debit card to buy something, the merchant that you buy it from has to pay a fee. And the fee, this is, it's called a swipe fee, it's called an interchange fee, it's called an interchange rate fee, but the fees vary. And they vary according to a couple of things where they can vary about the type of Uh, business that the merchant is in, what segment of the economy the merchant's in, also how the card is used, whether it's used by a magnetic stripe if you swipe it or you insert the chip or the cashier manually enters the numbers of your credit card. But the thing about this, you can find these uh, interchange fees on the internet. They're they're posted. If we talk just about Visa's interchange fees, some of them are as high as 2.5% plus 10 cents. So think about it. You go to Best Buy. We have Best Buy electronic stores around here. You go to Best Buy and you might television for $100. You use, you go up to the cashier, Corey, and and you insert your credit card. Okay. Well, the merchant behind the scenes, you're not involved in it. The merchant pays 2.5% or $2.50 plus the 10 cents. So $2.60, the merchant pays that as a fee on that $100 television transaction. Okay. But what if you're going to use your credit card for a $10 transaction or a $5 transaction? The amount of the fee that the merchant pays uh, is it's a larger percentage or it's a larger amount of the actual transaction. And these fees can make micro payments, micro transactions, almost cost prohibitive. Cryptocurrency, on the other hand, has uh, fast transfers and fees that are very low, some of which are pennies. Uh, so the the possibility of cryptocurrency for micro payments is a lot more attractive. Another, another thing you may have heard recently, that Bitcoin is sometimes referred to as a digital gold. It's uh, sometimes thought of as a hedge against inflation. So that's another legitimate use. Another legitimate use, I, I'm really glad to get into this because it's something that I think is very important for everyone in the entire world. And that's the concept of unbanked and underbanked people. Oh, that phrase is used to refer to people who do not have access to reliable banking services. You know, that, you think about that and you think about those words and go, okay, I, I know what that means, but do you really think about if you didn't have an ATM, you couldn't go to an ATM to get money, you didn't have a credit card, you didn't have a debit card, how would your life change? You know, around the world, there are uh, estimated 1.7 billion people who don't have access to reliable banking systems. Here in the US alone, it's about uh, 7 million people. These people have to find alternative ways to transact commerce, and it usually means being cash intensive. They don't have a safe way to save their cash. They keep cash at their house, Uh, stock up cash at their house. They also don't have uh, reliable, low interest, low fees uh, options for credit. So when they seek credit, it's at a higher, uh, higher fee, higher interest, and it's more disadvantageous to them. A couple other uh, legitimate uses recently, you may have seen that PayPal and Venmo have um, advised, have released that the people can now buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrency on the PayPal platform. Another one is uh, JP Morgan. I think that's an important one. JP Morgan's an important one to bring up because in the early days, I think the CEO, Jamie Dimon, was not bullish on, um, on cryptocurrency, but now we have JPM coin. JPM coin is being used. It's its own proprietary uh, cryptocurrency, its own proprietary currency that it's used to settle uh, cross-border payments. That's important because of the size of JPMorgan. I think I read recently that it transfers about $6 trillion a day. So JPM coin is in uh, in use right now. So those are some of the legitimate uses. Um, Now, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are legal issues. And uh, Corey, why don't you uh, get us started on talking about some of the other side of that coin?
1: Sure, Nick. Thanks. And uh, yes, I like that that J.P. Morgan point that you made because that segs nice. And really, that that is an issue now with with governments and different companies. Is cryptocurrency? It's gaining popularity and it's gaining legitimacy and acceptance, but it's definitely not universally accepted. Um, as it's, it's becoming more regulated as popularity grows, but it's still a largely unregulated sector. Uh, a lot of skeptics point to its relatively short lifespan. Uh, as a critique, uh, mostly, most individuals who hold cryptocurrency as an investment vehicle, they want to see the history of it. a lot of investors, they want to see how's it going to perform in 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Uh, where cryptocurrency has only been around for a little more than a decade it doesn't have that history to show, okay, here's how it performed in the past, here's how it's likely to perform in the future. And that makes a lot of risk averse investors pretty leery. Uh, Some country uh, governments have embraced it fully and that they recognize it as a valid medium and they've gone so far as to create their own coins uh, for governmental coins, while others have just banned it to use outright. Uh, Interestingly, interestingly, many countries in the Middle East, they they have banned it outright, uh, but many countries they fall more in the middle if if they, they don't go as far as to ban it outright, but they implicitly ban it by simply not it, recognizing it as legitimate currency. And that is really due a lot to the fact that the definition of cryptocurrency is sort of amorphous. No one can really nail down a solid definition of what is it, is it currency, is it property? Uh, and so those issues are still being hashed out and, and figured out today a lot by a lot of governmental agencies. So Nick, can you, let's get in more into that. What are some other legal issues with crypto?
0: Corey, I think when we look at the legal issues, it's something we could spend days talking about, and people have, there are lots of, um, lots of seminars online, there are lots of podcasts, there are lots of YouTube videos online that take a look at some of these issues. But let's just kind of get hit some of the high, uh, the, the bigger ones at a higher level. You know, I think the first thing that we have to consider and talk about is, is it money? And that's important for money laundering laws. And you know, if you look at the federal system, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, it's FinCEN, it's uh, part of the Treasury Department. FinCEN has come out, and it came out uh, seven years ago, back in 2013, and issued guidance on virtual currency exchanges. Now, FinCEN governs and regulates money services businesses that think money transmitters, people who exchange currency one for another. FinCEN has come out and said, if you operate a virtual currency exchange, you're a money transmitter. And so we are going to have regulatory authority over here. If you think on the state level, a lot of states are doing a lot of different things. But of you and I are here in West Virginia. You know, We tend to be in West Virginia, I think, from um, uh, from a legal standpoint. We're sometimes a little bit behind the curve of the rest of the country. But here with regard to cryptocurrency, it's interesting. We're keeping up. Yeah, the cryptocurrency is expressly written into our money laundering statute. Of our money laundering statute it talks in terms of monetary instruments and it defines monetary instruments expressly as including cryptocurrency so there's no question that if you're talking about money laundering uh, it's going to be it, it, cryptocurrency will be governed by it here in West Virginia I remember you know it's not that the case everywhere but I remember talking oh geez uh, two or three years ago maybe a little bit more about a, a case in Florida where a, a criminal defendant was being charged with money laundering involving cryptocurrency. He made a motion to dismiss, this and the court granted it. The court's ruling was cryptocurrency is not money. You can't, launder, you can't engage in money laundering if you're laundering something that isn't money. I think that is going to be less and less likely to happen in the future, but nonetheless it's, it's part of the history. It's happened in the past. So that's question number one. Is it money? Question number two, if you're in this space you need to be aware of is the concept of uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission regulation, SEC regulation. A lot of companies are looking at the opportunity to issue their own coin, initial coin offering an ICO, and think about that akin to a corporation going public with an IPO. Well, if you do that, be aware that there are a lot of regulations that govern. There's a regulation A+, there's regulation D, there's the concept of accredited investors, and in some instances only they are able to invest. The SEC uh, will govern this. Uh, there's a case from uh, several decades ago. It was 1946, the Howey test. The Howey test uh, is used to determine whether your, your uh, initial coin offering would be an investment contract, and there's a test that has to be followed. If it is, then you're probably going to be governed by the SEC. Uh, this concept, the regulation by the SEC, the concept of investment contracts and all the regulations. This is something that we can go over for days and days if we want to. But from a high level overview, that's that's an issue that has to be taken into account and addressed if you're going to be in this space and you're going to look at uh, doing an initial coin offering. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other issues. And I know Corey, you are more in tune with the taxation and bankruptcy issues. So why don't you um, jump in and give us a little guidance on those.
1: Sure. Yeah, Nick. So uh, the SEC is not the only governmental entity that's dealing with this uncertainty around how to deal with cryptocurrency. The IRS is another one. It deals with obviously a lot of money issues. And in 2014, the IRS declared that virtual currency is taxed as property rather than currency. So think commodities like uh, gold. So for individuals that own cryptocurrency as an investment, which is many of them, Uh, they have to report gains and losses on the sale or transfer of cryptocurrency assets as they would with any other sort of capital asset. Uh, Owners of crypto in this space would have to keep track of information like the description and the amount of the the type of cryptocurrency, the date they acquired it, the date they sold it, the gains and losses on those sales. Uh, So like they would have to track any other capital asset and the transfers of those, they have to do the same with cryptocurrency. Uh, However, as of January 2018, cryptocurrency, it's no longer eligible for a 1031 like-kind exchange under the IRS regulations. Uh, with an asset like a real estate or equipment, uh, it can be disposed of and replaced with an ex- with another asset uh, of like-kind and the taxpayer would uh, avoid tax liability on that transfer if it's a like-kind exchange. IRS now explicitly states that cryptocurrency of one type is not able to be exchanged for a different cryptocurrency or a different virtual asset. Uh, and since they don't depreciate or wear out or anything like that, it essentially takes away all of like kind of exchanges for cryptocurrency. They said uh, one cryptocurrency is not the same as another type of cryptocurrency and an exchange of the two is a taxable event for the owners of those cryptocurrencies. And so those are some issues the IRS are facing. Uh, in my general practice, uh, I, I do some bankruptcy work. Bankruptcy is being uh, dealing with a lot of these issues as well. Uh, In a bankruptcy context, a debtor, they have to report all of their property in a bankruptcy case, and this includes cryptocurrency. Um, The closest thing the bankruptcy practitioners have uh, related cryptocurrency to is uh, the same as the IRS. It's something like a commodity property like gold rather than currency. A recent report from uh, Insol International stated that only 5% of bankruptcy practitioners said that they had a comprehensive or practical working understanding of cryptocurrency. Uh, So practitioners Lawyers, they have to rely on the information that is given to them by their clients who are usually debtors, or if it's a creditor, then they have to still rely on the information given uh, by their clients. Uh, If debtors aren't completely transparent with their assets, then uh, it would be very difficult for a practitioner to discover what sort of cryptocurrency assets this debtor holds. Uh, The cryptocurrencies are stored in electronic wallets. Think something like an online bank account. Uh, and they're accessed through publicly available software, but it requires a passkey, so you need a password to get in. Uh, And there's no public register uh, of ownership of cryptocurrency assets, and thanks to the cryptography, which protects the integrity of the cryptocurrency and the identities of the users, it would be nearly impossible to identify who owns what cryptocurrency without some sort of external assistance, i.e. information from the debtor. Uh, So bankruptcy practitioners, as well as trustees, they're gonna have to become very knowledgeable on cryptocurrency in order to identify what exactly uh, debtors own in the cryptocurrency world, what assets that debtor owns. Uh, Trustees particularly will have to become pretty proficient in uh, exchanging cryptocurrency for fiat money because unless an entire set of creditors in a bankruptcy case signs off and is willing to accept cryptocurrency directly as a payment of debts, if one creditor says they want fiat money, then the trustee's gonna to have to exchange all the cryptocurrency for fiat money and distribute that to the creditors uh, as satisfaction of payment. So those are some issues uh, that other other sectors are facing. Uh, what, what other legal, legal issues are we seeing here, Nick? Well,
0: as we you know, talk about the last segment of our video, bring it to a close so we don't keep everyone here all day, there are just a couple more that I wanted to mention. Uh, smart contracts, you may have heard of that it's everywhere in the, in the news, uh, online, people are talking, if you want a big, big picture, um, smart contracts are essentially a complicated, uh, if this, then that program. It's almost like a contract written on, on code. It, it provides that if a certain condition is met, then go ahead and, and fulfill this other condition. Maybe that's hard in the abstract. Let's take an example. I think the easiest example is the concept of like an escrow agreement or an escrow agent escrow agents holding money if one party to a contract performs their contractual duties then the escrow agent releases the money to the other party or releases the money to that party however the contract is structured if you think about that that can be written into computer code written into code in a smart contract one party performs it's verified the performance the um, smart contract automatically releases the funds to that party no human intervention no person involved that's um, that's interesting i think we're going to see more and more of that and as a uh, lawyer that's really exciting to me i'll tell you the other one and the last one i want to talk about that's really interesting you know i um my background is in financial litigation and so i couldn't be uh on a video like this without talking about kyc aml kyc know your customer aml anti-money laundering and those are concepts that we find in the bank secrecy act and essentially big broad brush essentially what they require is that An operator, traditionally financial institutions, uh, are required to put in place procedures to make sure that the person you're dealing with is the person you're dealing with, KYC, know your customer, and also put together procedures, maintain procedures that if the institution knows, suspects, or has reason to know that transactions involve crimes, terrorist financing, money laundering, then they're required to file suspicious activity reports with the government. Does KYC and, and AML, KYC AML, apply to the cryptocurrency world? I think there's some good examples recently that, yes, they do. You know, some of the most recent examples come um, come from the BitMEX issue. So BitMEX is a cryptocurrency exchange. It's interesting, so it's, it's organized in the Seychelles, but it has offices in other countries, including an office here, at least one office, more than one, I believe, here in the U.S. What happened there? So the Department of Justice was looking at BitMEX and sent a letter to the owner saying, look, you don't have KYC AML procedures in place and you're required to do that. And the owner's response was essentially, they're not going to do it. You know, if you, you could look this up online if you want to read a little bit more about it, but it's reported that the CEO said the entire reason I set up in the Seychelles is because I can bribe someone with a coconut, but it takes a lot more to bribe someone in the U.S. You know, eh, I don't know that that's a smart move to come out and say that. But regardless, they've all been charged. The CEO, other owners and officers have been charged criminally. And I think as of right now, when we're recording this video, they're all in custody. Another one recently is um, cents, 60 million fine against uh, Larry Dean Harmon, the operator of a a cryptocurrency mixer or tumbling service. And this is the service that essentially tries to anonymize transactions real broad brush it adds layers into transactions if you think about traditional money laundering it adds layers into the transaction to try to keep the transaction anonymous and the people involved anonymous so that 60 million dollar fine the same thing the doj was looking at uh, the the businesses he was running uh, coin ninja and helix and found there are no kyc aml in place and as a matter of fact a lot of his public statements said things like We destroy all customer data within seven days. So it's not only not putting the procedures in place, but intentionally taking actions to avoid KYC AML issues. So, you know, KYC AML is real and it's in the virtual currency cryptocurrency space. That's something we absolutely have to talk about. With that in mind, though, I think, you know, in the interest of time, Corey, I'll take it back to you to wrap us up and let everybody get on with their day.
1: Sure. Thanks, Nick. And just one final point here. We're bumping up on the time, but uh, I do want to address some issues with cryptocurrency. It's not, some issues surrounding it are not all uh, criminal. It's not always all money laundering or fraud uh, or less than forthcoming debtors uh, or taxpayers where the IRS or the SEC, bankruptcy practitioners, law enforcement are going to have to track down these digital assets and become proficient in cryptocurrency technology. Um, There are legit, problems around the legitimate use of cryptocurrency the main one being energy consumption Uh, we don't really think of cryptocurrency posing an issue to the environment however uh, the miners when they when they mine these blockchains it takes sophisticated software and hardware to perform these mining activities and these large complex machines they require a massive amount of energy and electricity to run and to cool them Uh, and as blockchains continue to grow especially large chains like that used by bitcoin uh, more and more energy is going to be necessary for miners to successfully mine these transactions so the the mining and the s- ensuring of legitimacy of these transactions and what makes cryptocurrency uh secure it's a great thing but it's also posing an issue to the environment even though you don't think of it, it's cryptocurrency digital you don't think of an environmental threat but there is some environmental threat to that so Nick, that, that's all I have. Do you have any closing remarks for us?
0: No, thanks everybody for tuning in. Appreciate your time. Uh, uh, please, if you like this video, like. Uh, if you like our channel, subscribe. And, and most importantly, if there's anything you'd like to see covered in a future issue of our Dakota Newsletter or a video, don't hesitate to let us know and we'll see what we can do to uh, get some more information out to everybody. Thanks for your time today. Thanks everybody.